Welcome to Health System CIO's podcast interview with Jeff Buda, VP of Operations and CIO at Atrium Health Floyd. I'm Kate Gamble, Managing Editor and Director of Social Media. In this segment, Buda talks about why he believes transparency is a critical factor in successfully leading through change, how Floyd has leveraged Atrium's resources and experience to implement, optimize, and stabilize Epic, his strategy for ensuring remote teams remain engaged, and why being just a cog in the wheel isn't necessarily a bad thing. All right. Well, thanks again. Appreciate it. And look forward to talking with you about the work that your team is doing and about the organization itself and getting into uh, some of that good stuff. Sure. Sounds good. So just to get a little bit of background, can you give an overview of Atrium Health Floyd, what you have in terms of hospitals and where you're located, things like that? Sure. So Atrium Health Floyd is three hospitals in Northwest Georgia and Northeast Alabama. We have two in the Northwest corner of Georgia and one across the state line in Northeast Alabama. The main campus is about 304 beds. And then the other hospital in Georgia is a 25 bed critical access hospital. And the hospital in Alabama is a 60 bed facility in that community. We are part of, as of just about two years ago tomorrow, I think, part of Atrium Health and joined them two years ago. And then, of course, was it six, seven months ago, Atrium combined with Advocate. So we are now part of the fifth largest health system in the U.S. So So that's big, (laughs) obviously. Yeah. I mean, our market is relatively small with just 379 beds or something like that. But yeah. Yeah. Okay. In terms of the reporting structure, do you do you report to Atrium Health's IT office or how does that work? Yeah, so a lot of things are changing right now. I report to Andy Crowder, who is Atrium's CIO, basically the Advocate Southeast Region CIO. Andy reports to Bobby Byrne, who's the Advocate Enterprise CIO. So that's been... And I've reported to Andy, it's actually a dual reporting relationship. Uh, So I report to Andy and have for the last couple of years. And then I report to our local CEO. And how does that work from like an EHR standpoint? Are you on the same system? We are. When we joined Atrium two years ago, we immediately set about implementing some of their enterprise systems and migrating our technology directory and all that stuff into Atrium's model. So we went live on Atrium's version of Epic in August of last year. And then we're also in June of last year, went live on their ERP solution, which is Oracle. Okay. So can you talk about what that process has been like, starting with the Oracle ERP? Yeah. What I'll say is, so almost immediately upon joining Atrium in June of 21, We started about migrating our Active Directory structure, all of our Outlook and all of that stuff almost immediately. And then also started on the Oracle implementation. Atrium has been working with Deloitte. And uh, so we set about just kind of following their roadmap, working with the Deloitte team and the Atrium team implementing Oracle. It was a prerequisite for Epic uh, because of some of the supply chain integration in the OR. So we had to go get our technology migrated first then go live on Oracle, and then go live on Epic. And all three of those things happened within that roughly year and a half time frame. So it was a pretty intense year, to say the least. 
Yeah, I'm sure. So then once you get past that initial part, are you able to look at look at the horizon and see what's our next priority or how, how did you kind of uh, approach that? Yeah, we started to do that and Epic brought a lot of capabilities that we didn't previously have. And so we've been also working to implement some of uh, Atrium's virtual care models. Mm-hmm. So we're in the process right now of um, starting the process to go live on their EICU, virtual patient observation, some other telemedicine enhancements, and, and a number of things. I would say that the integration with Advocate has really kind of tossed the salad again and put some things on hold as everybody sort of figures out, okay, well, what does this mean? What further consolidations might there be with advocate systems? And so it's kind of slowed things down a little bit, but we are still pursuing some of the virtual care models. Those are really key for us in our market and some of the things that we're doing. And it's been a benefit to our patients as well. Yeah. I imagine that like pretty much all systems that was uh, propelled forward in Mm -hmm. uh, 2020. We were previously on Cerner for the EMR on our acute setting, Greenway in our ambulatory setting. We had different billing systems sitting on top of both of those. And so we were kind of a hodgepodge and somewhat limited in what we could do in having really an integrated system. And so Epic was probably going to be cost prohibitive for us as an organization to move to independently. And so by joining Atrium, we were able to bring that to bear and then deliver some of those capabilities that that integration allowed for. Um, So better patient experience from a portal and a billing perspective, the virtual care technologies, as I was mentioning, and and just really a world-class EMR. Yeah. Did it make it somewhat easier, or maybe that's not the right word, but from your perspective that that was a prerequisite, like, okay, we're going to Epic. So you, you didn't have to kind of convince people or how did you, how did you look at that? Yeah. You know, our organization, I think, recognized some of the shortfalls of the systems that we had, but we were, again, somewhat in a box because we had legacy investments and just moving to something like Epic was going to be quite expensive from a capital perspective. I think organizationally, we were going to struggle. So we were looking forward to it. And in fact, as we were looking at suitor organizations, one of the expectations was that they would bring Epic into the equation and and bring us up on Epic. So that was one of the things that we were looking for and looking forward to. Yeah. And then how did you approach that just as far as, you know, putting together teams or what was the strategy there? Training and then go live. You know, thankfully for us, this wasn't Atrium's first rodeo, so they already had an implementation model, and they really helped us identify the teams that we were going to need. We, of course, aligned our people into those teams and uh, quickly got about the implementation work. Um, And then, you know, we partnered very closely with Atrium, who already had a support and an implementation structure, and they kind of led the implementation with our teams. Right. So one of the things you've had to deal with kind of frequently is change and leading through change. And I can't imagine that that's easy, but what would you say has been your strategy to guiding the ship when there is uncertainty or just big changes? Yeah, we, you know, announced internally that we were going to be joining Atrium well before the transaction actually took place, probably a good six months. And we were very transparent with our teams about what that meant, just in terms of it's going to bring a lot about a lot of change. We're going to have to convert a lot of systems. 
we knew that and communicated to the teams that organizationally we were going to restructure and align the people that you know previously had just been Floyd IT department employees were ultimately going to be aligned with the larger atrium enterprise model that some of their leadership would change but that really it was all going to be okay atrium had committed that people were not going to lose their jobs their jobs may change a little bit, but they would have a voice in what they wanted to pursue. And so I think that transparency helped a lot. I think the reassurance helped a lot. You know, we provided open forms. I had very much an open door so that if people had concerns, they could come in and I think felt comfortable expressing those and we'd work to address any of the concerns that they had um, that were, you know, within our collective power to address. Yeah. And, you know, I'll be honest, in the two years since joining Atrium and really the six months leading up, I think we've only had less than five people leave the Legacy Floyd organization. And many of them left for you know different and, and broader opportunities. It wasn't because they were dissatisfied. So I think, again, that transparency helped a lot. That open door policy helped a lot. I think uh, Atrium was very welcoming. And I think their culture was very much uh, like ours, not identical, but very similar in many ways. And so I think it was an easy transition. Well, I think it was an easier transition for a lot of our people than it might've been with a a different organization that had a different culture. Yeah. And I would imagine that by being transparent, by having open door policies, you were able to kind of build a trust that as more changes happen, that you can kind of draw on that, that level of trust that's been established. Yeah. Yeah, and I think there was a good foundation of trust uh, even leading up to that, but I, I would agree that that was, that was a key. So at this point, what do you consider to be you know, really your key areas of focus? So we continue to work to really stabilize and improve the Epic experience. I mean, really, it was less than a year ago that we went live. So in some regards, we're, we're still on the backside of the learning curve, but on the learning curve, just the same. Um, I think that, um, again, we continue to pursue some of the virtual technologies that are key to our market. We've announced some combinations with a local physician group that is uh, the largest uh, independent multi-specialty group practice in our region. And so we're going to be combining with them uh, at some point in the future. We're not exactly sure when that date is going to be, but we've announced it. Uh, both parties have announced it. So. Uh, so that'll be good. So we're looking at, you know, growth opportunities, uh, continuing to expand our footprint, kind of the typical things that regional health systems do. So. And with the, um, that's stabilizing with Epic, is that something that's done in phases? You mentioned a roadmap before, so I'm sure this is probably roadmapped out, but is that something where you do it in phases just when people are kind of ready to take that next step or how does that go? Well, we went big bang with Epic and mm-hmm. uh, we went live on Atrium's model. And so really it becomes more of an enterprise, an Atrium enterprise decision. Mm-hmm. And we kind of follow along. So implementing some of the new capabilities within Epic, uh, they just recently were awarded the 10 gold star. So we're, you know, they're pretty advanced as far as their Epic implementation goes. And so again, we're just in a position now where we're part of one large happy family and we all kind of row the boat in the same direction. Right, right. Okay. So as far as like keeping up with updates and I know that Epic kind of has their own way of doing that though, I believe, right? 
Yeah. Um, we're on a cycle right now. I think Epic delivers quarterly updates. Atrium has chosen to do them biannually, so every six months. So we're kind of on that cadence and you know, rolling out some of that functionality twice per year. Yeah, we've heard that before, and it really does seem to make sense given the amount of you know time it does take to uh, adjust and kind of accounting for all types of factors. Yeah, and there's some logic in Epic's rationale there. You know, if you have a number of smaller updates, the lift isn't quite as heavy mm-hmm. when you have when you have to do those. And so they do deliver a lot of functionality and, and fixes and things like that. But to do it more frequently kind of keeps people in that groove where they're always looking to the next thing, always ready to update. It's not as much of a shock. You don't have to go through as extensive a a training or retraining effort. Communications are a little bit easier because you have sort of a regular cycle of communications and people look out for those. Yeah, I see what you mean. And there's something to be said about, you know, not wanting to change too much at once, but like you said, you want to stay on top of it. So I guess it's that balance. Yeah. Previously with Cerner and then on the the billing systems that we had connected to that, we were on a cycle of taking updates pretty much every two years. And they were significant projects, six to nine months each, lots of training, lots of communication. You know, we'd had a team of project management resources helping us through that. And really with Epic and just doing the updates twice per year, there is a series of email communication and our clinical informatics team works with the physicians and the nursing staff to do some education on some of the new features or how they've been reorganized. But it's, to my earlier point, it's really not a significant lift and it mm-hmm. happens in a much more condensed time frame. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned virtual care and that being a priority. Are you doing much in the way of home care right now or hospital at home, or are you looking to do that? We're not. The Atrium Enterprise is doing more than we are. That is something that we're looking at and there is interest in. But as we kind of looked at the priorities for our organization, getting the EICU up was a top priority, as well as the patient observation. You know, like a lot of organizations, we struggle with staffing and in particular nursing staffing. We have a lot of contract labor. And when we have to pull nurses out of clinical duties to be a sitter for a patient, it really, it just keeps those costs high. So getting the patient observation in place and Atrium already has the infrastructure. They have a central monitoring station that they've been expanding. That'll really help alleviate some of the constraints we face with the nursing labor situation. Okay. It certainly makes a lot of sense. And we're, we're hearing more, sometimes rural organizations, not necessarily, but looking to do more of a virtual nursing. It's, it's really fascinating. Yeah. And the pandemic helped telemedicine a tremendous amount. I mean, if there was right. a silver lining somewhere, that yeah. would probably be uh, one of them. We've done very little with telemedicine prior to the pandemic. We had some um, virtual behavioral health so we could get some BH consults. And then we were doing some telestroke with a partner up in Tennessee. But we really weren't doing much from a primary care perspective. Uh, The pandemic certainly changed that. So we do have telemedicine offering through our primary care. We're looking to integrate at some point in the future some behavioral health into that model. We're looking at what some of the things that Atrium is doing. And we actually have a school telehealth program, working with our local schools. So again, just looking at all of the offerings that Atrium has and the hospital at home is one of the things that they do. And uh, again, that's probably a good couple of years out for us while we focus on some of those other things. Right. So what about in terms of trying to improving staff efficiency and 
being able to automate some of the tasks that you know are taking up valuable hours? What are you looking at in that area? You know, it's hard to single out one thing. And and part of the reason I say that is we've had a strong Lean Six Sigma, you know, performance improvement focus for gosh, I've been with the organization for 11 years. It started before I joined. And so that's really sort of interwoven into our culture. So we're always looking for opportunities to improve and things along those lines. Some of the virtual care things are going to be an efficiency for us, like the, the patient observation. From an automation perspective, or maybe leveraging staff a little bit differently. You know, we're now part of a large enterprise that has a lot of resources. And so finding how we can leverage those resources to maybe free our local team up to focus on some other things um, Mm -hmm. is another opportunity for us. And how do we sort of get the economies of scale of being a larger, much larger organization than we independently were, where we had to build capabilities on our own. Now we can rely on some of those capabilities from the, the mothership, so to speak. Right, right. So Atrium could be looking at things like robotic process automation, things like that, that can trickle down at some point. Absolutely. You know, and we were doing some RPA stuff before joining Atrium with Atrium, you know, that sort of thing continues. I think everybody's sort of looking at AI with one eyebrow raised and trying to figure out, is there a place for it? Is it safe? What are the best places for that? How can it help us the most? And so I think we'll see some continued interest in that and maybe some some investments at some point in the future, but it's really, it's hard to say. It's People have been talking about it for years. The hype has really grown, I would say, just within the last six months to 12 months. And so I think it still remains to be seen what the real benefits are and then also what the risks are. Yeah, definitely. You, you don't hear as much talk about that. And I think a good amount of uh, organizations are watching what some of the, the bleeding edge health systems are doing and, you know, kind of taking note. Right, exactly. And then as far as you mentioned that you didn't lose too many staff members, which was really big, but just in general with, with COVID, with, you know, economic situations, have you had a tough time in recruiting or retaining IT people? You know, prior to joining Atrium, our IT team was about 80 people. It's still pretty close to that. Like I said, I think we've lost less than five. We have, it's a unique market. Most of the people have been with the organization as long as I have, if not longer. So we have not had high turnover. One of the things that the pandemic brought about was remote work. And historically, Floyd was always a place where work had to be done in person. People were expected to come into the office I was a little bit of a rogue and allowed our team to work one day remotely at their manager's discretion prior to joining Atrium and prior to the pandemic. So the pandemic hits, we everybody shifts to Teams meetings and things like that. And our CEO came up to me one day and he said, you know, these virtual meetings work really well. You know, they start and end on time. We get great participation, engagement. You know, people are paying attention. We don't seem to be suffering from um, work not getting done. Mm-hmm. And I saw my opportunity and I said, what do you think about letting our IT team work remotely 100% of the time? I said, we can work from anywhere. All we really need is an internet connection. Our data centers are in remote locations and we can travel to those when needed. And he kind of looked at me for a second. He said, sure, why not? So we've been able to work remotely since the early days of the pandemic. And we actually had one of the first COVID patients in the state of Georgia at our facility. So it started early for us. And um, 
people have loved it. We've not lost productivity, but it's mm -hmm. also allowed us to be able to recruit from a larger pool. So we have our facilities are in a fairly rural part of the state in Northwest Georgia, but we can recruit from the Metro Atlanta area um, where previously that just would have been a, a bad commute for people. Yeah, <laughs> um, oh, sure. So we're able to recruit from a broader uh, area. And then with joining Atrium, they had embraced a remote work and the IT team can pretty much live almost anywhere within the Southeast and with permission, even live elsewhere in the country. So that opened up some doors for people to, if they wanted to change their lifestyle or whatever, they could, they could relocate. Yeah. Yeah. And in terms of staying in touch with people and, uh, you know, checking in on them, doesn't seem like you've, you've lost anything with that. No, no, we really haven't. You know, it was a little awkward at first and we did a lot of things that I think a lot of organizations did with virtual team meetings and get togethers. You know, we do a virtual happy hour or a virtual game night and, you know, do that. Um, we've had a tradition at, in our market at Floyd to do a ITT picnic uh, in the summer months. Um, and so we'll still do that and, you know, offer that up to people. The management team will cook the burgers and dogs and, you know, people bring cornhole and stuff like that. And so we'll do that just to get some interpersonal connection. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I think uh, it really just has been a big difference maker. And I, I, some people I've spoken with said that it is actually easier to, in some cases to have like quick one-on-one -on -one check ins and you know mm -hmm. it it doesn't they don't feel like they've lost anything at all so that that's a huge win yeah and the other thing people are doing is leveraging we use teams so leveraging mm -hmm. the chat feature in teams so yeah. a work group will set up a team chat and they'll be chatting with one another all day long and it's very efficient. Uh, work gets done fairly quickly. You know, you don't even have to get up from your desk and walk over to somebody else's desk to have a conversation. You just put it in the chat and go. So it's really been, you know, the team has really embraced it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been a quality of life issue for a lot of people too. Absolutely. And it's, yeah. They're going to, they're yeah. going to work harder if they're happier. Yeah. And um, so, and Atrium, as I said, you know, they had embraced the remote work as well. And both organizations, I don't know what Advocate's position is on this at this point, but within Atrium, you know, the IT teams are permanently remote. So there is no plan to return to the office. Um, there is office space and hoteling space if people want to or need to for some particular reason, but yeah. the cord has been cut, so to speak. Right, right. So would you say that it's changed your your leadership philosophy since COVID? Um. Not that much. I feel like I interact with the team pretty similarly to the way I did before. Um, transparency has always been important. We still have a monthly staff meeting, although it's fallen off the books and I need to get it back on the calendar. But even though our team has is now reporting to different people within the atrium leadership, we still have kind of a local team meeting for those 80 people and, and communicate what's going on at, in our market kind of swap stories, maintain that connectedness. One of the things that I had been doing for several years as part of that team meeting is just do a stump the CIO session mm -hmm. where people could anonymously submit any question they wanted. And my commitment is that I will answer it as honestly as I can. And in some cases, if the information is 
sensitive or confidential, I'll just tell them I can't answer that at this point, but I will answer anything. And I've had some crazy questions and some that were difficult to answer and some, you know, just normal things people wanted to know. And again, I think that has really helped foster that trust, foster that connectedness and, you know, a certain amount of loyalty with that, I think. Oh yeah, sure. People know that they can, they can literally ask anything. That's anything. Gonna, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And you've been with Floyd itself for 11 years, you said? Yeah. Yeah. Just about, it'll be 11 years next month. Okay. And then you started as a CIO, but then eventually took on uh, operations as well. Yes. Yeah, so we, with our combination with Atrium, you know, there has been a lot of realignment of teams. We had one of our executives who decided he just wanted to do something different. He felt his areas of responsibility were kind of shrinking and he wasn't going to have the level of authority that he previously had. And then our chief operating officer uh, retired and our CEO decided to redistribute some responsibilities. So I got operations in addition to the CIO responsibilities. So I have quite a number of non-IT areas that report into me, including some clinical areas as well. Okay. And how does that work out as far as do they mesh well together for the most part? Or I'm sure that was an adjustment. It was an adjustment, you know, for most of the, you know, a good bit of our leadership team has been with the organization for a while. So I, of course, knew and interacted with the, all of the people fairly regularly prior to the realignment. It has been and continues to be a learning curve for me. You know, my sweet spot is IT, although I've been in healthcare for 30 plus years and I know how hospitals work. To have that level of oversight and uh, responsibility was a little bit different. And there's a lot that I've had to to learn and continue to learn. So it's been, for me, it's been fun. I think it's been good for the leaders that now report into me. At least I'd like to think so. One of them in particular and one over some of the clinical areas told me that uh, she felt like she won the executive lottery when she, <laughs> you know, when she uh, was realigned to me. So I think that's, you know, telling. Yeah. So would you say that with something like that, your approach is to take your time and try to learn about when you have different things that that are now under your purview? Yeah, I ask a lot of questions. You know, my philosophy has been for many years that we hire professionals to do a job. I am not a micromanager. So, you know, my approach is to let them do their job. I maintain regular one-on-ones with each of the leaders just so they can kind of keep me apprised what's going on in their areas. We can bounce ideas off one another. You know, I can share some of my observations. For example, if there's something that I think needs to be improved, we can have that conversation. And so it's really been sort of a continuous ongoing dialogue of what's happening in the organization. And through that, I learn. And like I said, I just ask a lot of questions. I've gone to different areas and just done a lot of observation. You know, let me watch how you guys do this, whatever it may be. So it's been fun. And it was, thankfully, um, I'm glad the transition happened um, because with our realignment with Atrium, the CIO role is not what it was. You know, I used to be the decision maker. And now I'm just a so more of a cog in the wheel of a much larger organization. And so a lot of the strategy work is done elsewhere. I have a voice at the table, but it's not, I'm not driving it. I'm not necessarily making those decisions. I'm just, you know, participating and contributing where I can. So it's a little bit different role. And so I'm thankful for, to have some of these additional opportunities and some things for me to dive into, learn about as well. Not too many boring days, right? 
No, and <laughs> no two days are the same. That's yeah. for sure. And that's good. That's yeah. good. It is. It is. Yeah. All right. Um, well, that's about what I had for now. I uh, would like to catch up down the road just to see yeah. how things are going with the latest changes. Yeah, um, absolutely. All right. But I appreciate your time. And it was nice to meet you virtually. Yeah. Nice to meet you as well. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.